Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. Glory to Jesus Christ. I'm Father Thomas Leia. Welcome to Light of the East. Well, we begin a new calendar year. It's not a new liturgical calendar year, but it's a new year in the civil calendar. And usually at that time, it's customary to look back on the previous year with gratitude. That's always the most honest posture to have, gratitude. And so I want to express some gratitude first before we begin our program, go any further. Right off the bat, as we begin this new year, I want to express gratitude to all of you who have been listening to us over this past year, who were so supportive of us, especially in your compliments and your writing to us, your messages to us. I want to thank especially in particular the Tom and Anna Jane Petty family from Trenton, New Jersey for their kindness, for listening and their compliments to us about how meaningful our program is. That's the thing that means the most to us is that we are meaningful to you. And many of you have expressed that to us. I want to thank people like Mr. William Radovich for his kind words to us and his supportive listening of us. In other words, he's always got a good, kind, supportive word, and he's not afraid to say it to us very often. So we appreciate those letters, Mr. Radovich. And also, those of you who have been listening who are serving time in prison, especially our good old friends, Brothers D and Brother M out in California. I want to thank all those who may be listening from prison. We hope we're bringing you some kind of sense of visitation, of compassion, of truth, of inspiration. To all of you, to all of you who have listened and have been so kind to us this past year, I want to thank you. And on behalf of Katie Goulis and also of Armin Chabatari, our brilliant engineer and producer. Well, thank you, Father. <laughs> You're welcome, Armin. We thank all of you for this past year. But we need to join hands together and push forward and look towards another great year ahead, this year of 2011. And as we do so, now we move into the liturgical calendar. And in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, the beginning of January, we have two magnificent feast days coming up. We've just moved out of the Christmas celebration, the nativity of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. But we move in a kind of a very purposeful way, kind of a a very, very connected way into these next two feasts. In fact, one of these feasts used to be part of the Christmas celebration, and that's the feast of what we call in the Byzantine Church Theophany, which means the manifestation of God and the manifestation of the Trinity. Now, this happens on January 6th. In the Latin rite, they call this Epiphany, 
which is also a manifestation, but it's the manifestation of the newborn Savior to the three kings, symbolic of the Gentiles and of the newborn Savior manifesting himself to the world. So both East and West, it's interesting how both East and West, as we often say in this program, East and West arrive at the same point so often, ultimately the same point, that is of a showing forth, a revealing, a revelation, and what that does for us. Yet we come at it in two different ways. That's part of the genius, the beauty of the church, and the beauty of the church breathing with two lungs, as John Paul II used to say. So on January 6th, in the Latin Rite, of course, we have the celebration of three kings, the epiphany, the epiphanic, meaning the showing forth of this newborn Savior and all that that means. In the Byzantine church, it is theophany which is rich in its meaning. And we're going to come back to that, but there's a feast just before this, and that is the feast of the circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ, and at the same time, on the same day, the celebration of St. Basil the Great, one of the great fathers of the church, one of the great fathers of the Eastern Church. These two events occur on January 1st, the first day of the civil calendar year, but in the liturgical calendar year, January 1st, is the celebration of the circumcision of our Lord and also of the Feast of St. Basil the Great. Now, you might ask, why the circumcision? Why is that significant? Well, it's significant theologically and liturgically and scripturally, but it's also very significant to us today, I believe. It has a real relevancy today. Many times I have couples ask me, well, Father Tom, we're going to have a new child, and he's a boy. Should we circumcise him? A lot of times it's a question for couples. And I generally lean towards the affirmative on that answer. And here's why. I draw deep into, as always, the spirituality, the liturgical tradition, theology of the Eastern churches. And we highlight that event of Jesus Christ being circumcised on the eighth day of his earthly existence. Now, circumcision first appears in the Bible in the book of Genesis, chapter 17. And what happened there is when God was establishing his covenant, in other words, his agreement, his promise, his relationship with Abraham and his people would become the chosen people, he told Abraham that the sign, the sign that his people would be the chosen people of God, the ones that God would choose to work out his plan of salvation, that sign would be the sign of every firstborn male being circumcised and on the eighth day. And you might wonder why. Well, like anything in the Old Testament, whatever happens there is a type or a premonition or foreshadowing of something that will be fulfilled and fully understood in the New Testament. Circumcision has implications for two things that will appear in the New Testament. One is the death of Christ on the cross, the shedding of his blood on the cross, and also the sacrament of baptism. In other words, circumcision in the Old Testament corresponds to the sacrament of baptism that we know today and from the New Testament till the present. The reason is this. First of all, baptism is a kind of a dying away, a kind of a cutting away in a sense of the old self, the false self that we inherit from original sin. And so baptism, there's a kind of a immersion, a kind of a dying, a kind of a drowning, a kind of a separation, a cutting away. And this, of course, was the action of circumcision. Now, this action involved pain. Well, death, dying to self, 
as is the theology and the meaning of baptism, involves pain. Not necessarily always physical pain, but certainly spiritual pain. There's a certain pain that goes along with dying to self, you know, dying to those irascible passions, our concupiscence, our lust, our desires, and rising to our best self. There's a certain kind of a psycho-spiritual pain in that, which is why we oftentimes resist it. Well, that psycho-spiritual pain was prefigured in the pain of circumcision. But there's something else. Circumcision occurs, of course, in a process in which there is the shedding of blood, not just pain, but the shedding of blood. Now, this would point to the shedding of blood and the pain that Christ would endure on the cross. And of course, his pain and death on the cross, the shedding of his blood on the cross, where the blood and water came from his side, was again a premonition of what would be for us baptism. So, what begins in the infancy, what begins with infancy and the circumcision, will find its fullness in the shedding of blood, the pain and shedding of blood of Christ on the cross. And we will share in all of that, in Christ's circumcision, in Christ's baptism, in his death and resurrection, by virtue of our baptism. It's not a baptism, of course, of physical blood, but it's a baptism nonetheless of a dying, a kind of a stripping away, a cutting away, as it were. And it's interesting, coincidentally, how this feast day in the Byzantine calendar arrives on the same day as New Year's, where we oftentimes make a New Year's resolution, which basically involves a kind of a cutting away of aspects of our life that we'd like to have cut away, sort of improved upon, you know, in the so-called New Year's resolutions, which unfortunately themselves get cut out of our life all too quickly. But it's interesting that the two things coincide. At least I have always found that to be interesting. But the idea, the theme here is the cutting away of an old and the rising to the new. And that always involves a certain pain and the shedding of blood, whether it's mystical, spiritual pain and blood or actual physical pain and blood. The two go together. One prefigures the other. Another reason why this circumcision of Christ is so significant, and this is what we hear in the Byzantine liturgy during this time, is because it's a yet another example, as was Christmas, the birth of Christ, of how God, in his infinite love, would humble himself. He would actually make himself subject to his own rules, which he didn't need. He didn't need the law. He didn't need circumcision, but yet he endured it out of love for us. And we're going to talk more about the implications, not only of circumcision, but also of Christ's baptism, which is the Feast of Theophany in the Byzantine Church. We're going to talk more about this when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya here on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. 
This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church has something special for your holiday table this Christmas season. Now imagine an incredibly delicious nut roll or poppy seed roll from the kitchens of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. These ample and substantial old world treats are over a foot long, made with loving care from old world recipes. Just $15 each. To order your nut roll or poppy seed roll, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Pick up at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois. Can't get to the church? We'll put it in the mail. Just add $5. Call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church nut and poppy seed rolls. For pickup directions, go to ByzantineCatholic.com. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East as we begin a new civil calendar year. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, it prompts me to kind of look back on the previous year, but always with gratitude. We thank many of you who are listeners and have been supporters for us for so long, especially during the past year. But also now I'd like to thank those networks that carry our program, especially Ave Maria Radio, EW10, and all its affiliates like Archangel Radio and Mobile Alabama. We also like to thank the Guadalupe Radio Network and also Living Bread Radio. Thank all of you for carrying this program and carrying this message of the other lung of the church, as John Paul II would say. And on this program, we bring the riches of both the East and the Western lungs, but primarily the Eastern lung of the church. And these riches are not so often known because most of the Eastern churches, especially in America, tend to be smaller and more spread out, so they're less known. And so all these networks that carry this program are doing a vital, vital service and ministry to the whole church. And I'm Sure, and I pray and I hope that the Lord continue to bless their very worthy efforts. So again, thank you to all of our networks, in particular, EWTN and all its affiliates. I mentioned that beginning of the month of January in the Byzantine liturgical calendar now, we shift gears from the civil calendar to the liturgical calendar, we have the interesting feast day, the emphasis of the circumcision of Christ. Now, this feast day, in addition to the other things that we talked about, also is part of, it's kind of connected with a theme that's running through a liturgical calendar this time, and it started at Christmas, at the Nativity of Our Lord. And that theme 
is the self-emptying or the lowering of God. First, he lowers himself to take on our flesh. The creator becomes the creature, the created, while still remaining the creator. A marvelous mystery, the divine condescension, as the Eastern Church Fathers say. That was the nativity. That was Christmas. That's a great kenosis, great emptying of our Lord. He bows himself down. He bows the heavens. But not only that, he even bows to his own rules, which were intended for human beings, for sinful human beings, in the form of things like circumcision, which we're talking about today. That's why it's a significant feast day, more so than we realize. There's one other aspect about circumcision that I think also has a relevancy for a lot of families today, actually in terms of even father-child development. It is the father who, in a sense, must inflict a wound on the child, especially the son, in order for those children to grow up strong and forthright. When I say wound, I mean this. It's the father's role to kind of introduce the child into what is the more painful or harder side of life. So that child will rise to face and embrace those things, and in the process, discovering their own strength their own strength of character, their own reliance on God, their own spirituality. And it's the father's role to introduce the child to that part of life. So it's interesting that our Lord, God and Savior Jesus Christ, would endure this, in a sense, wound, which was the law given by his own father to Abraham. In other words, even Jesus Christ, as a son, son of the father, would endure this wound that is indicative of embracing the harder side of life in order to develop character, to sort of be like gold put in the furnace, as St. Paul says. In other words, unless we embrace and face up to things greater than ourselves, sometimes things are very painful, we don't really develop and discover that strength of character that is so much a part of being a whole person, a full human being, a Christ-like human being. And circumcision has that dimension to it. It's a wound inflicted, primarily in a sense, by the father. And that wound is actually what helps a child to grow and to develop. Now, a father will inflict other kinds of wounds too, not just physical circumcision, as it were, but also the wound on a psychological, spiritual basis. Oftentimes, it's the father who must stand alone in his decisions for the family. The family may not always understand. The child may not always understand. Might think dad is kind of being unfair and so on. But dad is actually seeing what no one else sees. He's seeing that harder side of life, and he's trying to prepare the family, especially the children, for that. Do you remember when Christ was baptized? As he came out of the water, his father's voice boomed out of the heavens, and it said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ is baptized, and he's baptized not because he needed it, because it was part of the command of his Father in heaven. And when he came out of that water, even his own Father in heaven gives to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of his Father, he gives them that message that all men must hear from their Father. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And only after that, after hearing that message from his own heavenly Father, did Jesus Christ begin with confidence his ministry as the Son of God on earth? So there's all kinds of meaning to this feast of the circumcision of our Lord, which is 
celebrated on January 1st in the Byzantine Catholic calendar. I also mentioned, too, on January 1st is a celebration of St. Basil the Great. St. Basil the Great lived in the 4th century, and he, along with St. John Chrysostom, was one of the great fathers of the Eastern Church. In fact, we have a liturgy named after him. He came from a very holy family. His sister, his mother, St. Macrina were very holy. And he even had a brother, St. Gregory, who was holy as well. He was a saint as well. So St. Basil was one of the most towering, powerful saints in the Byzantine Catholic Church. We celebrate his liturgy, liturgy named after him, which means it's primarily the Eucharistic prayer of the liturgy, or as we call it in the Byzantine Church, the anaphora, which means a prayer of offering. Primarily, his liturgy is named after him for these particular prayers, and they're very, very lengthy prayers, but very, very beautiful, encompassing, magnificent prayers. And these prayers, written by St. Basil the Great, which became part of his liturgy of St. Basil the Great, this liturgy is celebrated in the Byzantine Church on most of the high feast days of the Church, such as on Christmas Eve and this Feast of the Theophany. Now, speaking of the Feast of the Theophany, we'll get back to that. It's a feast of manifestation, of a showing forth. In the Byzantine calendar, it's a huge feast day. It's second probably only to Easter, to the resurrection of our Lord, in its impact, in its importance, in its holiness, in its solemnity. What happens on the Feast of the Theophany is we celebrate Christ's baptism and how he comes up out of the water, as I mentioned, with his Father's voice booming. But also, the third person of the Trinity is present as well, the Holy Spirit hovering above him in the form of a dove. This means that this feast is not just Christ's baptism, as important as that is for us, but it's also the manifestation of the Trinity, of God as Trinity. That's why you call it theophany. Theo means God. Phony, phonics, like phonics, means like, like, a, like a showing forth, a speaking forth, a proclaiming forth. So we have the word theophany, a showing forth of God, but God who is Trinity. Now, during this feast day also, we have other themes, one of which is the great sanctification of water. In fact, there is a very elaborate, magnificent ceremony of the consecration, literally consecration of water in the Byzantine church that happens on the eve of the Feast of Theophany. What happens is, in several ways, there is a calling down of the Holy Spirit by the breath of the priest, by the words by the priest plunging his hand into the water and making the form of a cross, by plunging a three-branch candle into the water, and finally the cross itself is plunged into the water in the form of a cross. All these are ways in which the Holy Spirit enters into this water and sanctifies the water. And that water is then used to bless, to bless the church, to bless people. We drink from that water. We bring it to our homes. We bless our homes. We bless everything with it. But in the blessing of this water, the consecration of this water, is also the blessing, the renewal, the recreation, the regeneration of all of water, an effect of all of creation. We have to remember that starting from the birth of Christ through his circumcision to now this high point of theophany, we have this ongoing reality of God immersing himself into this created world. Now, that changes everything dramatically. It makes it holy. In particular, on this feast day, water becomes holy, becomes sanctified. And that's why the ceremony is so elaborate. Another custom we have is we bless water, not only in the church, but also water that's outside the church. We bless ponds and streams. 
In fact, it's oftentimes a custom in some Eastern churches, like the Greek churches, is to actually throw the cross into the water, and then the men will actually go out and swim after it and retrieve that cross. <laughs> it's a little hard in some areas when your pond is frozen over this time of year, but sometimes we, we can still do it. One of my priest friends told me about how he tried that little custom one day, and the pond was a little more frozen, he thought, and this cross went sliding across the water instead of going into the water, but eventually got it down in the water. That's the point of it. That cross has to immerse in that water. And then we are immersed in that water. We're blessed with that water. And traditionally, many, many people are baptized on this feast day of Theophany. So it's a feast of recreation, regeneration, renewal, and a consecration of water. And all that, why? Because it is we who need this immersion, not Jesus Christ. He did it for us. Well, thank you for listening on this very, very festive time. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.